Hey, welcome to episode number 231 of More Than Bread. My name is Dan. I'm a pastor, Bible reader, and your word-working host for this podcast. And it's my hope as we dive into Scripture that the Spirit of God is word-working in all our hearts, yours and mine, saturating our souls with Scripture, renewing our minds with every word that comes from the mouth of God, giving us wisdom, and and perhaps even more importantly, filling us with the Spirit of God and helping us to discover and know Christ. It's a shame to come to the words of God and not get to know the Word of God, Jesus. In the last episode, as I introduced us to Colossians, I shared that what I love the most about Colossians is that it is passionately thrilled with Christ. Colossians is one of the most Christ-centered, Jesus-loving, Son of God-exalting books in the Bible. It's, it's filled with variations on the theme of Jesus. Jesus is the object of our faith and the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the creator of all things. And in fact, all things were created by him. And in fact, all things are even now held together in him. He is the quantum physics principle, and he's the head of the church the resurrected one, our Savior through the cross, our victorious champion over sin, Lord of glory, Lord of life, model for living. Man, if you ever need a pick-me-up reminder of the treasure that has been given to us in Christ, just take 15 to 20 minutes and read through Colossians. You'll find there's nothing greater than Jesus. Christ is the treasure of Christianity. I don't know why you're listening to these podcasts, but if it's not because of Christ, you're missing it. If we don't go to the Bible with a heart's desire to know Jesus, we're settling for less than the best. And the more I ponder Christ, the more I realize there's nothing more, there's nothing greater than Christ. Christ is the treasure of Christianity. With all my heart, I believe that the church is the hope of the world, but only, only, only because the church is on the heart of Christ and ultimately Jesus is going to win. He is the beginning of life, the beginning of everything. We said in the last episode, he's not just prominent, he's preeminent. He's not just sufficient, he's sovereign. He's not just someone, he's the one. And in the end, the question that each and every one of us, you and I, must answer every day, not just once. I don't care how long you've been a Christ follower, the daily questions, what will you do with Jesus today? Now, that's the main theme of Colossians. Jesus is the main theme of Colossians. But an only slightly less important theme is the mission of Christ. The mission of the church is to bring Jesus to others. The mission of Christ is to bring people into the kingdom, get engaged in the mission, love our neighbors, introduce others to Jesus. So for the next handful of episodes, we're going to get a bit of both, Jesus and his mission. Jesus and the mission to bring Jesus to others. Now, for this episode, I'm going to read Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation, and here's what Paul says. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, and from our brother Timothy. We are writing to God's holy people in the city of Colossus, who are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. May God our Father give you grace and peace We always pray for you, and we give thanks to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all God's people, which come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You've had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news, and this same good news that came to you, and it's going out all over the world. It's bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it changed your life from the day you first heard it and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. You learned about the good news from Epaphras, 
our beloved co-worker. He is Christ's faithful servant, and he's helping us on your behalf. He has told us about the love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. Now, before I jump into Paul's opening lines, let me simply say this and then explain it. I'll say this and then explain it. When it comes to Christ and his mission, there is more than I can see. There's more than you can see. There's more to life. There's more to Christ. There's more to the kingdom of God. There's more than we can see. One of my favorite more than I can see stories, John Eldridge shares a, an experience that he and his family endured in Alaska. They were on a plane running low on fuel. They'd circled for what seemed an eternity, but still the fog refused to lift. Rain and mist smeared the windshield and they, they all had to strain to just find a, a break in the clouds. Nobody wanted to leave, but running out of gas was not a very good, not a very good option. The weather was rough, and below them was the ocean, and by chance they survived the crash. They lasted about seven minutes in the icy waters. Three more minutes, the pilot yelled above the drone of the plane's engines. Three more minutes, and we'll have to turn back. We'll give it one more pass. They'd come to see Fairweather Mountain. <laughs> As Eldridge writes, Fairweather Mountain is a total misnomer. With a name like that, don't you picture some lovely place in Hawaii or maybe Costa Rica, balmy breezes, gentle green slopes, the weather always fair. <laughs> but instead, these mountains explode 15,000 feet above the sea level right off the coast of Alaska, sheer cliffs and foreboding glaciers. Some of the world's worst weather hangs out here. The pilot was yelling, they get their name because you only see them in fair weather. <laughs> what idiot came up with that cleverness? They ought to have named them the peaks of frozen death or the don't even think about it mountains. Fair weather around here, Eldridge writes, that means maybe 20 days a year if you're lucky. Well, that day they got lucky. With minutes to spare, the clouds parted for the most breathtaking view of a lifetime. Vertical granite walls that rose and fell thousands of feet on either side. White cascades of ice falling through thin air. 20 days a year, if you're lucky. Does that ever describe your life? I'm living my life in a fog, perhaps even at times when it doesn't seem like it describes our life. It really does. We're living blind, spiritually blind. We, we don't see, not really, not clearly. Sometimes we're seeking clarity of vision, but sometimes we don't even know what we can't see because we're living life blind. And, and again, I'm not talking about physical sight. What I'm saying is that when it comes to reality, we all need to be reminded that there's more. Say this to yourself. There's more than I can see. And as we look at Paul's letter to the church at Colossae and his expressive exaltation of Christ, I I want to, on occasion, ask the simple question, what does this mean for my neighborhood? What, is this, what does this mean for the mission? What, what does this mean for loving my neighbors? How does it apply to that, to be on a mission to help others find Jesus? And, and as I've studied the book of Colossians, one phrase keeps humming in my mind, and that's very simply, there's more than I can see. When it comes to my world, when it comes to my life, my family, even my neighborhood, there's more than I can see. Now, here's my theory. I believe that one of the reasons why we struggle to love our neighbor, neighbors, one, one of the reasons why we're not on mission in our neighborhood, introducing people in our workplace, our school to Jesus, one of the reasons why we do not see a region transforming gospel movement of Christ is because we've come to believe that what we can see is all there is to see. But, but what if there's more? What if there's more? 
I love what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 16 through 18. He says, therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And so, 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 we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. We fix our eyes on what is unseen because what is seen is temporary and what is unseen is eternal. Let's be honest, that sounds like crazy talk. I mean, when what is unseen is more real to you than what is seen, most of us think, wow, you got a problem. You, you, you may need medication. And sometimes it is crazy talk, but Paul would say that we're just as crazy if we think that what we see is all that's real because what is unseen is not always unreal. This is what moved Paul to write in Colossians 3. We'll look at it in a few episodes. He wrote, so we fix our sights on the realities of heaven. We fix our eyes on what is unseen. It's what stirred the heart of the prophet Isaiah when he prayed in Isaiah 64. Oh God, that you would rend the heavens and come down. And I just want us to understand as we dive into Colossians that that when the Bible talks about the heavens or the things that are unseen, it's not a metaphor. It's not some ethereal, wispy, ghost-like, spiritualized thing. He's talking about true reality. So would you do do a a bit of an imagination exercise with me? Just take a moment and close your eyes, (laughs) unless you're driving or walking or running or riding a bike, any kind of movement. Don't close your eyes. But you can still imagine. Imagine your front door, you're in your dwelling place, home, apartment, wherever it is, and you go to the front door, you reach down and turn the knob to walk out to your hallway or your front yard, and and you look around to the left, to the right, across the street, or for for our sake, at our cabin across the valley. Now, let me ask you, what do you unsee? What are you missing? Ask yourself, what is unseen in my neighborhood, in my workplace, in my school? What do you not see? Now, let me tell you, there are three things that often go unseen in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our schools, in the places where we live. This is what I've been pondering as I look at Colossians. First, we don't see the brokenness. When Paul talks about what is unseen, he's talking about spiritual realities. He's talking about heaven touching earth. He's talking about Christ and glory. But but in other places, for example, Romans chapter 8, Paul talks about the brokenness of creation groaning for redemption like a woman in childbirth. And the reality is that the first thing unseen by most of us in our neighborhoods is the brokenness of God's creation groaning for redemption. And and the reason that I know that it goes unseen... (laughs) because I don't find many of us groaning. Robert Smith, an African-American preacher, shared about unseen things. He said, I used to watch my mother, and I I didn't understand her. Sometimes when we had physical needs, lacks, no food, she'd walk around in the house and start moaning because black folk used to say, when you moan, the devil doesn't know what you're talking about. She'd say, "Mm mm-hmm, mm. Tears would be rolling down her eyes. There's no food in the kitchen table or the refrigerator, and after a while, somebody's knocking on the door. Here comes some turnip greens, some cornbread. I'm not telling you about what I heard, he said. All she did was moan, and I didn't understand that, and I didn't dare ask her because she wasn't moaning to me. Her moaning was conceived in brokenness, but it was aiming towards the reality of unseen glory. And sometimes the gap between what we see and what is unseen 
oh my goodness, it should make us groan. We, we see sexual choices destroying hearts and we should groan. We see families breaking and we should groan. We see a helpless look on the face of a single mom trying to get by and we, we should groan. And, and when we don't groan, perhaps it's because the brokenness in our neighborhoods is unseen. But that's not all that goes unseen in our neighborhoods. Number two is we miss the brokenness, but we also miss the potential glory. <laughs> I mean, I think if Paul is right, it's not just the brokenness that, that is unseen. It's the potential glory. We, we fix our eyes on the eternal glory, not just in us, but all around us. I love the story of Ken and CJ. They were a Christian couple who lived in Badaga Bay, a little town north of San Francisco, and they ran a deli up there. A number of years ago, Badaga Bay was big enough to have one homeless guy. His name was Garland. And Garland dressed poorly, acted a little strange, slept in the city park. Being Christ's followers, Ken and CJ befriended Garland and offered him food and, and kind words. When their store was broken into and, and everyone in town accused Garland, Ken and CJ did the opposite. They prepared a very expensive gift basket for Garland. They gave it to him. The next morning, the police showed up with Garland and the expensive gift basket, certain that they'd caught the burglar. To protect Garland from embarrassment, Ken and CJ said, Oh, Garland, thank you for bringing your basket back. We forgot to put some stuff in it we wanted to put in it. And by the way, here's the change I forgot to give you. And Ken made up a number, $38.67. And in front of the police, he opened the cash register and gave $38.67 to this homeless guy. The police let Garland go without saying a word. A few mornings later, Garland died in the park in his sleep. Ken and CJ were called to the attorney's office. They were told that Garland had made them the sole heir in his will. He just simply wrote on a piece of paper, the entire contents of my travel bag are entirely yours. Inside the bag was a bag of birdseed, a Bible, and a bank book. The names on the savings account were Garland and Ken and CJ. And the last entry in the savings account was for $38.67, bringing the balance to well over $3 million. (laughs) And you know what bothers me the most about that story? What bothers me the most is that the very first time I heard it, the very first thought that came to my mind after I heard it was, who would have ever guessed that that guy was worth so much? (laughs) What is the measure of the worth of a person? What's the measure of the worth of your neighbor, of your classmate, of your workmate? See, here's the last thing that too often goes unseen in our neighborhoods. It's the work of Christ. And I'll tell you what, when you combine the brokenness of people with the value of people, you end up getting the attention of God. And, And as we make our way through Colossians, what we will find time and time again is a challenge to see Christ and to see Christ at work in our places. I didn't get enough into Colossians, (laughs) but there's always another episode. And for now, I just want to encourage you. I want to simply challenge you to ask God to help you see what you can't see. God, I pray for each and every one of us, each and every person listening to the sound of my voice. God, would you give us eyes to see what is unseen? Would you help us to fix our eyes on the realities of heaven? Would you help us when we look at our neighborhood and 
And, and when we look at our families, our extended families, when we look at our, our workplace, where we where we work and live and eat, the restaurant that we go to, the stores, or walk by hundreds of people, when 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 we think of our our classrooms, our, wherever our kids are, God, would you give us eyes to see what is unseen? Would you give us eyes to see the realities of heaven? Would you give us eyes to see the brokenness all around us? Would you give us eyes to see the potential for glory all within us? And God, would you give us eyes to see where Christ is at work? God, help us to see what we can't see. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.